As most of um, what we know about the Holy Spirit comes from the New Testament, and uh, so we tend to take the kind of rich passages from there and we know the context and that's kind of easy. Um, but the Old Testament too is shot through with the Holy Spirit and we often neglect that. Um, but uh, the Spirit is working from the very beginning right through to the days of Jesus and on beyond into our days. So it's really important for us to take account of that too. My guess is that not many of you will have recently read the book of Zechariah with a commentary in your hand. Okay, JIT accepted. It's not very easy to understand, I have to say. I had a little conversation with Rachel in which she said, what am I reading here? So I thought perhaps uh, that uh, I would offer you the benefit of my quick research because I too haven't read Zechariah very recently. And I'll give you a bit of background before we hear the reading. So probably the most helpful place to start is, uh, have I got this microphone or not? Hmm. That's going to pin me down. Okay, um, so probably the most helpful place for you to start is Ezra's history of the rebuilding of the temple. Ezra, it's a book in the Old Testament. Uh, if you look to about page... 475, that's 473, I think, is the beginning of Ezra. So what's been happening is that Nebuchadnezzar, the, uh, the uh, Babylonian emperor, has just sacked Jerusalem and destroyed its temple. And he's taken all the Israelites from Jerusalem off into captivity. And Jeremiah was a prophet at the time. We know about Jeremiah, big Prophecy, big book of prophecies uh, comes just, just after Isaiah. Jeremiah prophesied that within 70 years, God would bring back the exiles and they would rebuild his temple. Well, in chapter 1 of Ezra, Cyrus, who is uh, the Persian uh, emperor, he moves in on the Babylonians, takes over the Babylonian emperor, emperor, empire, swallows that up. And uh, that's just happened in chapter 1 of Ezra. And uh, at this point, he announces a new religious policy. So instead of, like Nebuchadnezzar, uh, destroying religious uh, holy places to prevent them from becoming kind of hotbeds of sedition, instead, Cyrus is going to, uh, to renew, re-establish um, religious centers, hoping that from them he will garner support for his more tolerant regime. So, a group of 50,000 exiles, Jewish exiles, who are uh, in Babylon, led by uh, Zerubbabel, I get that word, Zerubbabel, a prince of David's line, as noted in 1 Chronicles 3.19, and another guy called Jeshua, or Joshua, he's uh, called different things in different books, a priest of Aaron's line, these two leading this 50,000 group of exiles come back to Jerusalem, bringing with them what remains of all the temple artifacts that were looted from the temple by Nebuchadnezzar. So if you turn to page 475 in chap chapter 3 of Ezra, we read this, verse 1. When the seventh month came, so they've all arrived back in Jerusalem. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, 
the people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. And then Jeshua, or Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates, began to build the altar of God of Israel in order to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So seven months in, they get going. They build the altar, they start making sacrifices again. And then, verse 8, in the second month of the second year, so about five months later, after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, son of Josedek, and the rest of their brothers, the priests and the Levites, and all who had returned from captivity to Jerusalem, began the work, appointing Levites, 20 years of age and older, to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. So, 70 years later, Jeremiah's prophecy comes true, and the house of God begins to be built again, led by Zerubbabel, the prince of the royal line of David, and his mate, um, Joshua, or Jeshua, who's the high priest. By chapter 4, unfortunately, opposition has begun and has stopped the building work. And that carries on until there's another change of regime, Darius the Mede, who takes over the Persian Empire and moves in on Babylon. Enter Zechariah and his mate Haggai. So chapter 5 begins, Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Josedek, set to work to rebuild the house of God. So they get going again in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Okay, so perhaps you'd now like to open your Bibles at Zechariah. So, page 1091, one of the 12 smaller uh, books of prophecies right at the end of the Old Testament. If you start in the New Testament, work backwards from uh, Matthew's Gospel, you come to Malachi, and then before that is Zechariah. And if you go too far, you get to his friend Haggai. Okay, so Zechariah, page 1091. Zechariah's collection of prophecies structured in two parts. The the first is speaking confidently of God's commitment to fulfill his promise of new life for the exiled people. And the second is speaking of the struggle and the suffering that they're going to have to go through, through which it's going to be achieved. Not surprisingly, many of the verses from the second part of struggle and suffering are later applied to Christ, to his passion. So Zechariah 9, 9, for instance, reads like this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Recognize that? Used very powerfully five or six hundred years later. Well, our reading comes from the first part, which... uh, begins with a call to repentance, and then there's a series of eight visions which are explained to us. 
the third of those visions in chapter 3 focuses on Joshua, or Jeshua, as he's been called in Ezra. Joshua the priest. So verse 1 of chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest. Verse 4. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off Joshua's filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. And then verse 6. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge over my courts, and I will give you a place among those who are standing here. So that's Joshua, chapter 3, vision 3. Now vision 4, chapter 4, focuses on Zerubbabel, the royal prince. Rachel, our reading. So chapter 4, it's page 952 if you haven't yet found it in your Bibles. The gold lampstand and the two olive trees. Then the angel who talked with me returned and wakened me as a man is wakened from his sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it, with seven channels to the lights. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range throughout the earth. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Again I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, Do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, These are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. So, Zachariah, bleary-eyed, drowsy, awakened from his sleep, sees in front of him an amazing candle stand. Okay, it's a bit hard for us to imagine. I'm going to do my best to help you here. He's not thinking about the, um, uh, those old um, Jewish candle stands, the menorah, you know, the, uh, the seven uh, 
a branched candle stand. That comes about uh, 400 years later. That's not been invented at this point. What he's thinking about is something different. Okay, so um, there, are, there are some hollow um, candle, um, candle stands, like trunk-like stands that have been found in, uh, uh, by, by uh, archaeologists um, in uh, places like um, Dan and uh, uh, Ta'anak. And on the top of that, uh, some of them, and on this one, uh, there's a golden bowl. I feel like I need some flour and a wooden spoon here. Okay. So there's the gold, golden bowl on the top of the candle stand. And around the edge of that are seven, around the top, are seven lamps. Okay. We've got here six. Okay. So. Uh, okay. I've got one here I already lit. Sticky back plastic. Okay, somebody likes to come up and light all of these for me so I can carry on talking. Thank you, Rachel. That's great. Watch out. Okay, so uh, we've got um, we've got lamps around, but these lamps are a bit different. Okay, um, so it says uh, so at that point, uh, many lamps would have like a. Have you have you got my? Um, we haven't found them yet. Okay. So um, many lamps uh, would, would have like a pinched um, lip there, and you would, lay the, um, you would lay the wick. Where's the wick gone? You'd lay the wick um, through the pinch, and then it would drip down. It would go down into the oil. So that would be your, your, little, um, your little candle lamp. Okay? But this wick, this lamp, has got seven of those pinches, and they found ones like that with seven pinches around it. Okay, so um, actually, instead of that, it kind of looks more like this. Okay, where's my, um, where's my thing gone? Oh, yes, there we go. All right, so if I could have my, um, if I could have my sanctuary helper to come and light these ones here for me. There we go. This is better at it than I am. Okay, so you've, got, you've actually got seven times seven lamps. So actually, you also imagine that this is all covered in gold. So all the, all the flames are going to be reflecting in the gold. So actually, it's going to look dazzling and brilliant and, and stunning as, as um, Zachariah opens his eyes and sees this lamp in front of him. So here he is, dazzled by this, uh, the, the appearance of this lamp, um, and, and there's an angel of the Lord, and they're probably pretty dazzling as well, um, speaking to him. And uh, so he's, he's stunned, he's impressed, he's overwhelmed, he's dazzled by this. Thank you, Rachel. And he's kind of asking, well, what's this all about? And the angel says, well, don't you know what this is about? And he goes, no, my Lord, you better tell me. So uh, the angel says a few things, and he says, yes, but... But there's an olive tree either side of it. So that's the first time we've heard of that. So I need some helpers here. Okay, Jit, could you come and help me here? Okay, so um, we, uh, this is, just imagine you're in kindergarten, okay? So uh, we all pretended to be trees then. Here's, I've got a tree here on the left, okay? Very nice tree. Okay, could I have, a, could I have another tree? Oh, Andrew, 
another tall tree. That's great. You can stand on the other side here. Great. Okay. Now, they're olive trees, okay? You can tell that because they've, they've got olive oil, okay? Right? So here they are, right? And they've got a, each got a branch with olive oil on over, over the lamp, okay? It's obvious, the, the, Lord, the angel of the Lord says. Isn't it obvious to you? And he says, no, otherwise I wouldn't be asking you. So, oh, and more than that, we discover, there are golden pipes, okay? So each, each one, has each tree has a golden pipe from the olive oil to the lamps. Okay, it's very clear, isn't it? No, my Lord, what's going on? Okay, he says, well, these two trees are the two sons of oil, the two anointed ones. Who gets anointed? Kings get anointed and priests get anointed. Who are the two kings and priests that Zechariah and Haggai are so concerned about? Well, there's there's Zerubbabel, the architect, and there are Joshua, the high priest. Okay? These are the ones who supply the oil for this lamp. Should we keep them there? Because that's such a fine image, isn't it? You're doing a really fine job, guys. So, what is this lamp, then? Do you not know? Have you not understood? At first, we think that this lamp must be God, the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world, isn't he? He shines in our dark places. But that's not going to work, is it? Because we can't say that God is resourced and sustained by Joshua and Zerubbabel. So this must be something else. What is it that Zerubbabel and, and, and um, Joshua are trying to do? They're trying to build... <laughs> put that away. They're trying to build the temple. Okay? What is the temple? The temple is the place of our creation where God is, where the impact of God flows out in blessing through the world. So this, if this isn't God, this must be our worship of God. This must be our witness to God through our worship, through our lifestyle, through, um, through the unstoppable promises of God that are working their way out these 70 years through the people of Israel. Okay? And they are resourced by these two men of God that God has anointed and chosen and, uh, and has led forward, has risen up, raised up and brought forward to this point for his purpose. I think we'll let them sit down, shall we? Thank you so much, guys. You are fantastic. Well, big round of applause. Thank you. Do you get the idea? So here is the lampstand. Let's just just very quickly read our way through this, this prophecy again. The angel who talked with me returned and wakened me, and as a man is wakened from his sleep, he asked me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it, And each light has seven channels to the light. Each lamp has seven channels to the light. And also there are two olive trees by it, one on the right and one on the the other on the left. And I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And he answered, don't you know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word, okay. 
So then we go to the end, uh, to uh, verse 11. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Again I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. And then breaking into the middle of this image, this image about um, uh, Joshua and Zerubbabel um, anointed for the task of enabling the, um, the worship and witness of the people of God, comes this message axing through the middle. Verse 6. No, my Lord, I replied again. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Here. We've had the word of the Lord to Joshua. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. You're the mighty prince. You're the one who's used to uh, pushing people around, telling people what to do. You're the leader of these 50,000 people. This is my word to you. Not by political might, not by energy and physical strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You've been working really hard these years to build this uh, temple, this task that I've set you, and for all your authority, for all the 50,000 people that you've got at your disposal, you have not succeeded, have you? Well, I want you to get going again. I want you to start up again. I want you to not to give up, but to throw your energy into it again. But listen, that's not why you're going to complete it. You're going to complete this task because it's my task, because I am choosing for you to do it. And so I want you to do it by my spirit, depending on me, not on yourself, not on these 50,000 guys that work for you. Not by might, political will, not by strength, physical energy and skill, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's how it's going to happen. Because who are you, O mountains, before Zerubbabel? What do you think you're about? You think you're going to stop Zerubbabel, this pile of rubble that's getting in the way of the building work, this this mountain of opposition, of political opposition around here and across the, the Persian Empire, no chance. Before my Zerubbabel, you mountain, you're going to be made absolutely flat. By my spirit, says the Lord. And then the word of the Lord came to me. Oh, just before that, sorry. Then he will, he, Zerubbabel, will bring out the capstone. So he's laid the foundation, and when he finally finishes the temple, there'll be a capstone. There'll be a final stone to put into place, the last piece of the jigsaw. And when Zerubbabel himself brings that capstone out, wow, what rejoicing there's going to be. Because we will have finished this task that we set ourselves only by the power of God. And we'll, we'll be shouting, you'll be shouting, God bless it. God bless this capstone. God bless us. As with the completion of this task, God pours out his spirit through this temple 
and out into the land. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of this temple. His hands also will complete it. What a great thing to hear as a leader. How encouraging, how exciting. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who despises the day of small things? Is it you, Zerubbabel, you, Joshua? You've looked back and you've despaired and you've been discouraged by the little that you've managed to achieve, just the foundation stones, getting out your, your plumb line to, um, to start the first building works. Well, we can, we can rejoice in the small things, in those baby steps, in those little works, in that plumb line. Yes, it means he's still at work, he's not finished yet. But one day, the plumb line, okay, this is uh, the, 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 the fine thing about Hebrew is there are often different meanings for the same word. The same word can, be, can have different, completely different meanings. The same word also means, could mean, the dedication stone, this capstone, this final stone. So the plumb line that you start with will one day, in effect, become the dedication of the temple and how we will rejoice then. So we can rejoice already in the small steps towards that that we see you taking. Don't be discouraged. Don't despise the day of small things. Give yourself to those foundational activities because one day God will give you completion. <sighs> and these seven are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout the earth. Okay, yeah. Is that not obvious to you? Zachariah? No, my Lord, what earth are you talking about? Okay, well, eyes can also, that, that word can also be used, so that, that eyes connects with uh, the use of the word eyes from the previous uh, vision uh, with Joshua, but it can also mean the river, the springs, the sources, the rivers. So these eyes of God, these rivers of God, not only range, look throughout the land, but they also flow out throughout the land. And this image will be picked up uh, later by, or has been picked up already by Ezekiel across in, um, uh, in, um, in exile, the idea that one day there will be a river flowing out of the temple, getting deeper and deeper and deeper. You'll remember we started with that image a few, uh, a few weeks ago. So when you complete this temple, the river of the Spirit of God will flow out from this place across the nation and from this nation across the empire and across the world. Back to the olive trees. So what does all of this mean to us? Where do we go with this? I suppose the starting point for us is the question, what is the task that we have taken on for the Lord? What is the task that you have taken on for the Lord? Um, I think we're all believers here tonight. If you are not a believer, I would be saying to you, the really, the really resonant, significant, important, powerful thing for us about the building of this temple is that in the ministry of Jesus, we discover the meaning of the temple shift. Firstly, it shifts from this physical building that Zerubbabel and his mates are building to the life of the Lord Jesus, in whom 
we have the presence of God. This is the place where the presence of God is visible for the people of Israel. In Jesus, we have the presence of God made manifest and visible to the whole world. But Paul understands that Jesus passes on his capacity as the temple, the presence of God in the world, to his people, to us, as we become one with him. So as we become part of his body, so we take over his role as the temple. So what's happening now is Jesus is building a new temple in us, right here, right now. So for each one of us, we have the opportunity to become the temple of God, the place where God's presence, his impact is felt in the world. And for us as Christians, that's our invitation. That's the project that Jesus is at. And you'll remember that uh, we had here two, um, two uh, olive trees, two branches with oil, olive oil, pouring out into this place, resourcing and sustaining and renewing it and empowering it. Well, who are, who is the anointed king and the anointed priest? For us, that all comes together in Jesus. He is the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christos, the Christ. There's are three different language words for the same thing. Anointed of God, priest and king. Priest laying down himself as a sacrifice for us. King with authority to command and shape and, and to, uh, and to um, fulfill the purposes of God. And Jesus it is who is standing behind us as his temple, as his body, filling and resourcing us with his Holy Spirit so that we, by our, our life, by our worship, by our witness, by our um, action, by our ministry, can declare his praise to all the world. So let me ask the question again. What is the work that God is doing in you, the work that God has called you to? What is the work that God has called us to do, this congregation tonight, this evening 6.30 congregation? What is the work that God has called us at St. Jude's to do? We've been asking ourselves that question over the last uh, months. We've come up with some big ideas. The big vision statement over it all, to see Jesus' love transforming lives from here in the heart of South Sea. And as we try and throw our best into that in all the different kind of ways that we, we're coming up with, what is the message of God to Mike the priest, and David, the church warden, and all the other workers in this place. Not by might, not by energy, not by skill, not by your competence, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We may think that we're a bunch of high-functioning, competent people, but when we come to do the things that God wants, we find we are completely unable in our humanness. We have a go at it, and we don't get very far. 
because the things that God calls us to do cannot be done by us humanly, by our human energy and wisdom and skill and might. They can only be done by the power of the Spirit at working in us. We have to depend on the Spirit. I do a lot of my work, it has to be said, through my own confidence and competence. You know, I'm right, answering emails and I'm preparing sermons and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm organizing stuff and I'm coming up with ideas and I'm recruiting and I'm, you know, I'm doing all those things that you expect me to do as a leader in this community. But when it comes down to it, I cannot bring anybody to Jesus. I cannot change anybody's life. I cannot heal anybody. I cannot bring in the kingdom of God in South Sea. It's beyond me. Only way it can happen in me is by the power of the Holy Spirit pouring his grace and power into me as a leader. Now, I pass on the responsibility to you guys. I'm always saying... Don't look to me to do this stuff. It's for you. You're, we're all in it together. We're all disciples of Jesus. But the same is true for you. You cannot do the things that God calls you to do unless you depend on his spirit. So we have to figure out in this series on the Holy Spirit, how do we depend on the Holy Spirit? Well, very quickly... I've got a few little lessons that come out of this image of Zachariah for us and the context of it. And the first is, don't give up. Okay, it's very tempting to give up because we know we can't succeed on our own. But the message through Zachariah and Haggai to, um, to Zerubbabel and Joshua is don't give up. You've started, keep on going because God will finish this work through you. Keep going. People may be in your way, people may be stopping you, hindering you, but God can't be stopped in his work. May take, may take him time because his timescales are different to yours, but he will achieve what he wants to through you, so don't give up. Secondly, be patient. Well, that's kind of part of the first. God's timescales are his own. Sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes we have to wait a long time. But God will bring to pass what he has chosen to do in you. So in the meantime, be patient, be trusting, but also be alert for that moment when you're called back to renewed effort. Sometimes we just have to stop and wait and let things move forwards in their own time. Zerubbabel couldn't change um, uh, imperial policy, you know, at the heart of the empire. He was just waiting for things to change so that God's opportunity would come for him again. Sometimes we have to wait, but we also have to be alert for the moment when the prophecy comes and it's time to get going again. Thirdly, do it together. It's no mistake that we've got two guys here, Zerubbabel and Joshua. They support each other, they encourage each other. Jesus called disciples together to be disciples. He never, he never used the word disciple singular. It was always disciples. He calls us to work together, to encourage one another and to, uh, and to support one another and to complement one another. A priest and a king working with a city in order to build his temple. Your leaders working together with all of you to build what, what God is building here.
Fourthly, don't despise the initial efforts, the first plans, the baby steps, the little things that you've got in mind now. You can have the big vision. The fact that our current actions are not anywhere near our final vision isn't a problem with God. Don't despise that. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. Keep going. Do those things that you need to do first. Get started now with the Bible studies you have to make. Get started with the character uh, strengthening you have to do, the relational foundations you have to put into place, the faithfulness to Jesus upon which everything else is built. Fifthly, and here's the crunch and here's where it comes for our sermon theme today, trust God's spirit, not yourself. Unless the Lord builds the house, their labor is but vain that build it. Not by your skill, nor by your effort, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Keep committing all that you do to Jesus. Keep asking for his Holy Spirit to empower what you're up to. Keep trusting his spirit for wisdom and for breakthrough. Keep telling other people that, you, that the work that you're doing is not your work. It's not up to you. It's down to him. And finally, sixthly, one day, the day of rejoicing will come. You'll see the Spirit. The Spirit will give you the opportunity, the moment, to put the capstone on your work. And you will see the Spirit breaking out through the work that you have done. The legacy that God has built for you, like the legacy he built through Zerubbabel and Joshua, which for another 400 years was a source of blessing across the world. You will see that moment when the Spirit pours out of your work in greater blessing than you had imagined. How can we be sure of all of this? Because it's not Zerubbabel and it's not Joshua who are standing behind us. Because it's not me and not Jit standing behind you. We're not the sons of oil. It's Jesus, the anointed Messiah, who is this son of oil, this anointed one, who is offering us the oil of his spirit, the power of his grace for our lamp of witness, who's made the sacrifice as priest to free us from the past and who has the authority to command that mountains be made flat in front of us and who pours out his Holy Spirit upon us, welling up within us, to eternal life. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, anointed Messiah, speak your prophetic word to us when the moment is right so that we may clearly hear your call to us to be your disciples. Encourage and empower us to take up our shovels and to labor again for your kingdom. Pour out your spirit upon us that we may burn brightly for you. Give us the humility to trust your spirit and not our own strength or skill. To look to you for guidance and not our own wisdom. And give us, we pray, the joy of completing the task that you have given us, of laying the capstone on the temple that we have become for you. That others may see your glory in us and rejoice in you with us.
So fill us with your Spirit that we may trust you, not by might, not by power, says the Lord, but by my Spirit. Mike, thank you very much. Well, we're going to spend.